people who gaslight also narcissists? Have you ever wondered if it's not that one dimensional? In today's episode, I deconstruct my guest's experience in a way that will help answer these questions. This is such an important topic. I'm so glad you're joining us today. I'm Sarah Morales, the host of this podcast. And if you're enjoying the things I'm doing here in this podcast, I'd love to invite you to attend my free workshop next month. Read all about it on my website and the link will be in my show notes. My guest today is the wonderful Kat Etherington. Kat is a certified professional life coach and integrative counseling practitioner working with individuals impacted by problematic sexual behavior, their own or that of a loved one. The first ever APSATS certified partner coach in Europe, Kat is certified by both the International Coaching Federation and APSATS and has developed her practice with additional trainings through well-known entities, including the Gottman Institute and Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health. Those are big, cool, awesome things, y'all. In case you, in case all of that you don't, you know, you're not savvy with all of those things, it basically means she's a badass. So I'm really excited to have Kat here. She currently serves as director of recovery for Naked Truth Project, an international nonprofit offering support to individuals and couples impacted by problematic sexual behaviors. Welcome, Kat. Hi, Sarah. I'm really pleased to be here. I'm excited. Yay. And y'all, it's just so much fun even just like hearing her talk. So that's like an added <laughs> bonus because her accent is absolutely delightful. It's so much, I'm, I bet you get that all the time too, huh? People tell me I sound smart, which I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll totally take that. <laughs> you know, us Americans, we're like British equals smart. I don't know. <laughs> it's maybe <laughs> somehow in us, I guess. I don't know. All right. Let's move on. Self, oh yeah, exactly right. Well, let's move on to the word of the day. And today my word is actually scale as in behavioral observation scale. According to the psychology dictionary, the behavioral observation scale is a method of appraising human behavior against a preferred level of performance. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, First of all, I want to tell you that I didn't know this was an actual thing until I Googled the definition of scale and that I was searching for one that fit and that came up and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that this was a thing and I did it (laughs) basically, right? So that being said, in my years of working with people around the topic of gaslighting, I saw that there was this wide variety of gaslighting experiences. Most importantly, that the level of the gaslighter's awareness and the different motives for resorting to gaslighting behaviors widely differ. So I decided to attempt to capture these differences in a way that was easy to understand. And from that, I created my scale of gaslighting as a behavior. And we are all familiar with the Charles Boyer or the narcissist end of the scale. In fact, most people use that word interchangeably as if it's a synonym, right? Um, But I don't think that that's an actual clear picture of the wide variety of gaslighting people that we may encounter in our lives and gaslighting situations. So um, 
Kat's story, in her story, you're going to get a really clear picture of the other side of this scale, right? So you've got the narcissist side of the scale, and you've got the unaware, kind of more, quote unquote, innocent side of the scale. And what's important about this, and what I love in her story, while we can see that about her gaslighter, we also see that even though they're unaware and it's fairly, quote, innocent, the impact of the gaslighting is still traumatic and damaging. And that's why it's so important to be able to recognize it and see it in its various forms. So thank you, Kat, for coming on once again today to my show to share your story. Um, for me, it was really one that reflected deep personal pain and a really profound impact of the confusion that gaslighting can cause. Mm-hmm. And then I also loved the hard, hard work that it took to unpack the understanding, right? Because in my opinion, the more obvious gaslighting is easier to see, easier to unpack, right? The the almost kind of more narcissistic or (laughs) evil type of gaslighting. It's often Mm. the more innocent type of gaslighting that can be really hard to identify. And so I love that your story is going to just bring a big old spotlight onto this dynamic of gaslighting. And um, so I'd love to go ahead and get started. And I'll start by saying, um, you know, that your story for me is what I would call a low level kind of gaslighting Mm -hmm. that happened in your childhood. Um, And for me, what this means is that I believe your gaslighter had zero clue that he was doing a gaslighting behavior, nor did he have any ill intent. But let's talk about it. Who was your main gaslighter in your childhood? Yeah, so my story really centers around my relationship with my dad. And, you know, just piggybacking on what you just said, um, not only would I say that the gaslighting I experienced was unintentional, I would actually say it was well intentioned. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there was a sense of um, the gaslighting that I experienced with him was actually his best attempt at showing up for me as a parent and comforting me as a child. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because that's accurate, right? Like, um, I'll talk about it again more later because I really want to normalize. I I don't, I I want people to get that people don't have to be a villain (laughs) in order to be a a person who is gaslighting. And, And I know that this was, I did a similar thing. To my kids. What I will say about that, though, is that it made it really difficult for me to identify what the problem that I was experiencing was, as I felt the impacts of what I experienced from that gaslighter, if you like, Mm -hmm. later in life. It was because it wasn't the big story, it wasn't the obvious story, it made it that much more difficult to figure out what is going on here and why don't I feel good uh, in this situation. Right. So, um, so that's great lead in. So I don't think we've actually mentioned. So who was your main gaslighter? Yeah, so my dad. Um, it yeah. was, uh, and and I guess my experience of gaslighting with my dad was low level and consistent mm-hmm. uh, throughout my childhood. Yep. And that's part of it. That's part of what I unpack in the scale, right? Like yeah. the, the um, frequency has an impact, right? Yeah. Like if it's just a one-off thing, it's not going to have a huge impact. But if it's something that's happening every time something happens, you know, it's going to have a deep impact. Mm -hmm. So you and I had a discussion offline um, about how your dad wasn't a monster. In fact, you told me, as you just said that for the longest time, you know, you really believed you had a great childhood that that you had believed nothing bad 
yeah. had ever happened. So for the context of my listeners, so they can understand this kind of dichotomy, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your dad? Like, who was he? What impacted yeah. this, this well-intentioned person who unintentionally had a really negative impact? Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting, even in answering that question, I have to acknowledge that I really didn't know who my dad was until okay. we began to get ready for his kind of funeral after he died. And I, mm. I actually learned a whole lot about him that gave me a frame of reference and a context to really begin to understand who he actually was. Um, mm-hmm. What I knew about my dad growing up was that he was, um, he'd been a police officer in the 1970s in Manchester, which is the second biggest city in the UK. I didn't okay. know what that meant. I just knew that that like yeah. he'd, been a, he'd been a police officer. Um, he was a teacher who taught in schools. Um, we sort of naughty boys schools, I guess, is how I would <laughs> how I would talk about mm-hmm. that. Like for um, children who had been um, excluded from school and were they were trying to still offer a provision for. So he had a tough job. Um, he was an authoritarian man. He um, and I guess I always put that down to the police officer and the teacher combined. It's like oh yeah. okay, like if there are two um, professions in the world that lend themselves to unquestioned authority, it would yeah. be those. And I definitely yeah. saw that in his parenting <laughs> approach. Um, I was raised in a way that was pretty like, um, do as I say, n- un- mm. unquestioned. I remember mm-hmm. asking a lot as a child, like, well, why? And yeah. the answer was that sort of stereotypical because I said so and because I'm uh-huh. in charge and because uh-huh. you'll do what I say, um, yep. whether whether that's, uh, you know, whether you have questions about that or not. And so I was mm-hmm. a pretty compliant child um, mm-hmm. as a result of that already. Mm -hmm. And yet with this, and and it's it's interesting that you say that because I have that tidbit from our offline, you know, conversation. And yet you'll see how that will show up in my deconstruction zone. So Mm -hmm. I love it. I love that you just said that. So, you know, he was a police officer. He was a teacher, all of these kinds of things, a a bit authoritarian. And yet you had a a pretty great relationship with him, right? Like you called yourself a daddy's girl. I definitely was a daddy's girl. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite memories of being a young child is Sunday afternoon movies with dad. Um, Mm -hmm. We used to like to watch fantasy movies. The never ending Mm -hmm. story was a favorite in our house. And I loved to climb up on dad's knee Mm -hmm. and, you know, sit with him and and watch movies together. We used to Mm -hmm. watch athletics together, things that he enjoyed. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, um, you know, it's it's interesting with a vantage point of a 40-year-old woman versus a seven-year-old right. child. Right. Um, actually, now when I look back at that, I'm like, oh, actually, I see a little bit of dysfunction in what I mm. thought was daddy's girl behavior. Some mm-hmm. of that was love me behavior. Mm. Some of that was mm-hmm. please can we share a common ground behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at the time, I would have told you that I loved and adored my daddy. Um, and I, I really enjoyed you know, being, being his little girl. Yeah. And what I love about what you pointed out there is just about how as humans, we are so complex because it can be both, right? It can be a little bit of, I just loved my dad and I loved being with him. And because of some of the things that were happening and maybe not as, as deep of an attachment as we would like to see, (laughs) you know, in a family, um, that it can create this, please love me. I love you kind of thing at the same time. And again, one of the things I love to do in the work that I do is to understand those are normal, natural 
human feelings. And if we want to learn how to recognize where we have power when it comes to gaslighting, it's understanding that those natural, normal human desires can put us at risk. Yeah. So we have to know what our potential risks are based on our family of origin, based on our personality. Like these are different things that Mm -hmm. can make us, when I say at risk, like susceptible, right? Like the same way that I might be susceptible to diabetes because my dad has diabetes, right? Like there are susceptibilities that we have. It doesn't mean we're broken or there's something wrong with us, but I love that it's complex. It's never one dimensional, right? So I love your awareness that you're bringing in as your 40 year old (laughs) self, right? To that (laughs) moment, because it became a consistent theme for you, right? This please love me kind of thing. So um, let's get into the example that you brought to me, which again, I love because it's just one statement. And yet this one statement really kind of set a path for you for your life for a long section of your life that literally almost cost you your life, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, my awareness of what I'm about to share as a a sort of gaslighting experience is hard for like, um, and I I had to work hard for it. Um, So, you know, any of your listeners that maybe have heard me speak elsewhere will know that I'm coming from uh, an experience of chronic addiction to heroin, which Mm -hmm. I experienced between the ages of 16 and 26. And Mm -hmm. I went to uh, rehab and therapy and did all of the things and heard people sharing all of their sort of appropriate, if you like, reasons to be addicted (laughs) to to drugs, right? So this person had a a terrible story of abuse in their upbringing. This person was, uh, you know, adopted out as a child and experienced Mm -hmm. the trauma of that. And Mm -hmm. I remember sitting around these groups going, what in the heck is wrong with me? Because I don't have that story. Um, And saying saying things to my therapist like, oh, like, I wish something terrible had happened to Mm -hmm. me. And she's like, why would you Mm -hmm. wish that? And I'm like, well, because otherwise, what what's wrong with me that I right. ended up in this place? And through right. lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of hard work and therapy, <laughs> yeah. um, yep. I began to realize, oh, there was some low level um, messaging in my childhood that made me believe that it wasn't okay and safe to be me. Yep. Um, and exactly. I really sort of drilled down on that the the gaslighting at the core of that centered mm-hmm. around my dad and yep. his emotionlessness is is mm-hmm. I guess a way to verbalize that and so mm-hmm. um what I remember as a child is going to my dad with an emotion daddy I feel scared daddy mm-hmm. I feel sad daddy I feel whatever and mm-hmm. anytime that emotion was a perceived negative emotion Mm -hmm. I would be met with a phrase that sounded often and mostly like don't be silly you Mm -hmm. don't have to feel sad scared angry upset um Mm -hmm. and that was it like that is the sum total or the best representation of my gaslighting experience um Mm -hmm. and what it did for me was sow a seed of oh I shouldn't feel what I feel. Yep. Yep. And again, I love it because it's, it it doesn't 
at first glance, it's not nefarious, right? Again, it's not, you know, what a horrible man. Like I can easily (laughs) label that as abusive, right? Right. No, no, we don't. And that's why for me, it's so important to understand gaslighting is both a behavior and an experience, right? Like something that is not ill-intentioned. In fact, he was doing his best he could to try to help you manage your emotions. (laughs) That's what he wanted for me was to to relieve me of the negative experience that he perceived that I was having. Yep. And yet it created a chain of thinking for you. Right. And I loved it. You were so, so um, not succinct. I'm trying to think of the word. Um, Anyways, articulate. That's the word. You were so articulate when we talked offline about your line of thinking. Will you share with my listeners the chain of events or not the chain of events, the chain of thinking, the line of thinking that became kind of your just like, I would almost say baseline, right? Until you hit therapy, this was kind of your baseline of thinking. And it starts out subconscious. I mean, sorry, it starts out conscious, right? But it because of the repetition of it, it became a subconscious line of thinking. Well, it became actually an identity is how I would describe it. It became like a core uh, sense Mm. of who I am. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing to say is like, it wasn't really when I hit therapy. It was really when I'd done like five years of therapy. I'm like, okay. oh, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, okay. It was more yeah. like an excavation or a, like yeah. an archaeological dig to get it. But um, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> let me tell you how it went for me. It's, yep. Daddy, I feel scared. And daddy says, you don't need to feel scared. Don't be silly. That was the phrase. That was the mm-hmm. really important phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be silly. And so what I what I hear and understand from that is feeling mad, feeling sad, feeling scared is silly. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't feel those things. But mm-hmm. I do. I do feel those feelings. Yep. But they're silly. So I must be silly. This, this is the conclusion that I reach. I must be silly. So if I'm silly and I'm feeling things that I shouldn't be feeling that are silly to feel and that makes me feel silly, I can never tell. I can yep. never tell because then you'll know. See, this is the birth of shame in me. Yes. And it makes me feel emotional even just saying it. Like yeah. that as a five, six, seven, I don't even know when the, I mean, I, I'm guessing that that was a go-to from really, yeah. really early. So yeah. like I maybe I felt that stuff from from the age I was able to talk, maybe yeah. even before I was able to talk. Um, so the conclusion I draw is that if feelings are silly, but I have them, I must be silly. So I can never tell. And so the core emotion that comes with that is shame. It's not okay to be me. I'm silly. Mm-hmm. I'm defective in some way. And the behavior that comes with that is I have to hide. Um, yeah. And, you know, play that forward a few years. The What I really ended up subconsciously making a deal with myself about was, well, I'm just not going to feel anything then because I don't want to be silly and I don't want to cut. I don't want to feel the feeling of shame that comes with the feeling of being silly. And so I'll just take a lot of drugs because that stops (laughs) all feelings, you know. know? (laughs) And it was it wasn't conscious like that. Mm -hmm. But as I look back, I'm like, oh, that was it. That was it for me. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, again, I love what you said there, <laughs> a little kind of like uh, foreshadowing to the deconstruction zone where you made a deal with yourself, right? Okay, so this shame core really led you to not just have this kind of 
feeling about yourself, but it really produced a strong, strong driving force and need in your life, um, which led to a pattern of relationships and choices. Will you talk to my listeners a little bit about what this shame core created in you as far as your Mm. drive? Yeah. So I guess, and I guess this is common for a lot of people's experience of shame is that Mm. um, shame is an intolerable feeling. Like Mm. it needs to be medicated or avoided somehow because Mm -hmm. who wants to sit in the feeling of I'm not good enough, I'm bad, I'm Mm -hmm. unacceptable. No one wants to sit in that feeling. And so drugs was one way to avoid Mm -hmm. feeling that and all other feelings that led to feeling that but the other thing that played out in my life was this insatiable desire to prove that I was good enough like I had this kind of lifelong quest for if I can be loved enough if I can be accepted enough maybe I can prove it wrong Um, and so that was the other thing that played out in my life all over again now the problem is that nobody's ever going to love me enough to outdo shame because that's in me and and you can't get what you need inside from what's outside so that was a a fruitless exhausting merry-go-round that I I spent years on yeah yeah and who you know who would imagine it's kind of again like you 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 say I can picture you being, you know, in the, in, in a circle, like in therapy. I don't, I don't know, just movies and stuff, like in in rehab or whatever. Like, and everybody's sharing their like stories, that. right? And who would have thought, right? Because usually, we again, we assign like these really horrific things that happened in our childhood right. are the cause of these things, and yet it can be something like this. Which again, for me, it's not. I, I want to go and kind of expose these more, um, you know, innocent, if you will, gaslighting things because mm. I want people to get curious, not because I want people to be afraid, like, oh my gosh, if I mess up and I say the wrong thing to my kid, they're going to become an addict, right? Like, I'm not trying to, to propagate fear. I'm trying to propagate right. awareness, right? Like for me, when I became aware of this fact in my life, not as the recipient in this case, but as the perpetrator, right? It was like, shit, I do this to my kid, right? Like I have been invalidating my child's emotion with this thing that I was doing. I was able to change it, right? Mm -hmm. And I was able to to kind of get their their path, their course back online, right? So it's enabled me to be a better friend, to be a better parent, to be a better partner, like all of these things, because my awareness around my own behaviors has increased. Right. right? And, and we don't is... have to be perfect. I mean, that's exactly, I guess that's the thing, you know, shame tells us we have to be perfect. Shame is a great anti perfectionism is a mm. great antidote to shame, except that it's mm-hmm. not because it doesn't work. Um, <laughs> right. And so like, I have mm-hmm. to, I have to avoid that that says, oh, well, look, look how that played out in your life. You're going to do that to your kids. So you have to be mm. a perfect parent. And I'm like, right. oh, there it is again, that damn shame core showing up in this other situation and so what one of my most important kind of mantras to keep in my awareness is 
good enough is good enough. Mm. And like I can I can invalidate my child and I can go back and go, ah, oh, I didn't feel good about how that went. Can we do that over? And I'm teaching yeah. them some really super important skills yeah. for life because no one is ever perfect, but everyone can get a do-over. Absolutely. I love that so much, Kat. And I know because I'm just like thinking some people of some people off the top of my head who need to hear that. Will you share that mantra again? Because I, again, I know Yeah, that mantra that so helps me, you stay out of. Yeah. yeah. It's, so one of the, and, and I say, I must say this to myself at least once every day. And that will, will have been true for the last 14 years, mm. that good enough is good enough. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody, I think what I said afterwards, and this isn't part of the mantra, like that's it. Good enough mm-hmm. is good enough. Right, right. <laughs> and that's the mantra. And what I know to be true with my kids is that I don't have to be perfect, but I can get a do-over. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. So, so much. And, you know, again, I want to point out because one of the reasons I'm, I'm trying to do what I'm doing here in this space, in this community that I'm trying to build, if you will, is make everyone feel more normal. Mm -hmm. Right. And here is this bad ass, you know, person doing amazing things in the world. Y'all I'm talking to my listeners and she just said, that she probably has says has said that every day for the last 14 years, that good enough is good enough, right? Like we are normal. We are human. We need to be reminded, especially when we might've had trauma in our past that, you know, causes us to have these things kick up. It doesn't mean you're not being a badass. It doesn't mean you're not healthy. It doesn't mean like healthy people use their tools. Mm-hmm. That's what healthy people do. Healthy people aren't perfect. Healthy people use their tools. And I love that tool that you just shared with my listeners. So thank you so much. So I feel like this is a good lead in to my deconstruction zone because of part of the dynamic of what made it gaslighting, right? You just talked about how we don't have to be perfect, right? So let's look at why um, your dad's imperfection, right? His just imperfect parent, right? How that led to a gaslighting experience for you. And that will also, my listeners, this will help you be mindful of your parenting, right? So it's one thing to do something as a one-off. It's another thing for it to be a pattern that happens over and over and over and over and over and over and over, right? That's what made it gaslighting for you. That's what made it be something that defined for you who you were, right? So in all my previous episodes, not that there's been a ton yet, but in all my previous episodes... I've started by deconstructing the gaslighter's behavior. This time I actually want to start in reverse and I'm going to start with you. So um, for me, the main aspect of your story is actually due to the roles. Okay. So I'll teach people about not just the roles as far as like the romancer and the bully and all those kinds of things, but roles when we're talking about family dynamics, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, and you also mentioned your dad had two positions of authority. Right. So not only was he parent, which is authority, authoritative role, Mm -hmm. he was policeman and teacher. So he has like a trifecta of authority. Mm -hmm. So when someone has a role of authority or love, and in your case, it was both, it is normal, natural human to trust them. Right. You're a person in authority. It's not, it goes kind of against our wiring as humans to distrust those in authority, unless 
bad things have happened, right? Yeah. Then it becomes normal <laughs> to distrust authority. Right. But, but that, that's not how we're initially kind of raised. We are raised as humans to trust authority. And as a child whom you love and depend on for life and all of these things, we look to, and you specifically looked to your dad for the information on how to live life. Yeah. That's what we do. How do I live life? How do I be in relationships? How do I do this? Right? Like our parents are meant to be the ones to inform us how to do that. Right? So when you combine this normal, natural human desire, right? Um, and this risk, if you will, of wanting to trust with the desire to be good enough and loved by your parent with a normal child thing of idealizing a parent, right? That's what we do. It's normal. Mm-hmm until we're older and then we see it. Oh, you're not perfect. Right. (laughs) Right. We idealize this leaves children and you specifically in this case, vulnerable to unknowingly allowing your dad to define for you how to live, how to feel Mm -hmm. and how to behave. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you combine this with the gaslighting your dad did, which I'll unpack in just a minute, Uh, This caused you to see parts of yourself as negative. So you stuffed that part, right? Yeah. And so for me, what that- Not just negative, Sarah, but unwelcome, unacceptable. Mm. Like you can't can't bring that here. It's not welcome is the message. Yeah. Yeah. So then it sounded like from that place, you got sucked into the negotiation trap right? You said I made a deal with myself and I call that the negotiation trap. If I cannot be a silly girl, oh no, no, no. If I can, I cannot be a silly girl and be loved. So I won't be a silly girl. Yeah. Right. I'm going to, anything, anything that will be perceived as silly, shut her down, (laughs) right? Like nothing to see here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And, and again, yet how, how tragic, because in order to feel fully loved, we must be fully loved. And we can't be fully loved if we've shut down part of ourselves. So no wonder you ended up where you you did, right? And again, you know, with your dad's statement of don't be a silly girl, that was, again, it wasn't overtly abusive. And yet why it was gaslighting is because it was a minimizing statement of your feelings that also carried a negative connotation, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go into the definition, but I did look it up the definition of silly, definitely negative. Right. Um, and so while he was unaware of what he was doing, that repetition is what we call brainwashing. Right. And so that's why it became, you know, for those of us that our parents are like, Oh, I don't want to be scared that I'm going to fuck up my kid. Right. Like just be mindful, like not perfect. And also not brainwashing, right? Like there's a happy medium. <laughs> Something in, in the in middle. There, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, right. So it was brainwashing into you believing that it was bad to be silly, right? And that certain feelings were silly, right? Yeah. So certain feelings were bad. That's the equation. If you were to yeah. kind of put it into a math kind of thing there, right? And so, um, you know, it sounds like to me, like you give a little comments in there. It sounds like. Uh, maybe I got it. I think I got it pretty yeah, right. Spot absolutely, on there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like I said, the, the outcome of that is okay. Just hide, just hide and pretend that right. doesn't happen to you. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, 
Is there anything that stands out to you that maybe you, because I know you've done a lot of work and I know you actually do some teaching on gaslighting too and your naked truth, you know, stuff over. And I know you've, you know, read the book and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that I said that maybe you hadn't quite named or hadn't quite put together yet? Or was that all kind of, yeah. I think you got it. And I, I, you know, as you, as I was listening to you deconstruct that, the other thing that came up for me, um, which is interesting, is the shame that comes with the experience of that low level gaslighting because there is a little part of me even now that goes gosh I must have been really sensitive like parents Mm. say that stuff to their kids all the time and they don't Mm. all grow up to be chronic heroin addicts like what the Mm. heck is wrong with me that that Mm -hmm. would impact me so significantly and I'm just aware that you know even now there's that little undertone of like Maybe it's silly of me to be so impacted by this really mm. small, low-level gaslighting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey, I'll, I'll just go back to therapy for another few years <laughs> and we'll figure that out. You know? <laughs> well, but, you know, at the same time, it, it's it's like, you know, I love that you said that. Like, your vulnerability right there I know is going to resonate with so many people. Like, this, this kind of thing where, for some reason, we shouldn't have been susceptible, right? You were probably for the first time you, you know, shame on you. (laughs) Like, how could you not let that impact you? Right. Right? Like it's, you know, you get to have been a sweet, sensitive little cat, you know, who was impacted by that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, and so thank you for sharing that vulnerability. I think that's normal that we all think, well, if I had only been smarter, if I hadn't been so sensitive, or if I had fill in the blank, Right. right. Kids are resilient. Right. So what in the heck is right? wrong with my resilience? Yeah. No. And, right. and you know, my journey is like, uh, I feel that I notice that little oh mm-hmm. that happens inside of me. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll work that. And I, I sort of, I have that fierce sense of, I will not live in shame. And yes. so we'll figure it out. Yep. I love that. I love that dedication to, you know, I'm just going to recognize it. I'm going to name it. I'm not going to be afraid, but afraid of it. I'm just going to deal with it when it mm-hmm. pops up because mm-hmm. we all have our shame gremlins. Right. We all do. Thank you, Brene Brown. Right. So the last thing I want to say um, in this kind of deconstruction zone is just, again, to normalize this parenting harm. Right. Like I want to treat this topic very sensitively. Um because it has the potential to be either really powerful or really scary, right? Yeah. I want it to be yeah. the powerful, the powerful side of things, right? So again, when I first started studying this, I realized I did something that was similar to my son, right? Again, there is a scale, right? Not all gaslighters are monsters, right? right? And so, um, you know, when we get into my, you know, in fact, we're going to just go there right now. I'm going to go into my set your alarm segment, because this is a perfect lead in and then we'll bounce back. Okay. So, um, you know, when we understand that gaslighting behaviors are on a scale, it allows us to approach the topic with a different energy, right? So maybe our gaslighter is a narcissist. They might be, but maybe they're not right? Maybe they're a parent trying to do the best they can and not well-equipped or stuck in an authoritative role or something like that, right? Um, to live awake and free, my tip today is to try to approach gaslighting behaviors from an energy of curiosity rather than fear, 
Right. So I'd love to invite you, my listeners, again, to attend my workshop um, where I can take you a lot, lot deeper into this, I actually show you my scale. We really unpack it quite deeply. Um, but for now, here are three things that you can do today, right, um, to help you embrace curiosity rather than fear. So number one, if you're going to try to do this, get safe. Okay. Make sure you're in a safe place physically, like in a room where you feel safe, even better with safe people, your therapist, your coach, your support group, whatever. Make sure if you don't feel safe, you won't be able to tap into curiosity, right? So that's number one. Number two is get grounded. Um, If you're not sure what that is, Google it, reach out to a friend and ask, but do some what I call rectangular breathing instead of square breathing or body tapping, meditate, whatever gets you grounded in the present moment where, according to number one, you are safe, right? So even if you have to visit something where you've experienced emotional, mental, psychological harm, you will be grounded in the moment where you are safe. And then again, that will allow you to approach it with curiosity, right? And then number three, and I think this is really important, going in with the mindset of giving yourself permission to not have to make a decision right now about whatever you find when you get curious, right? You might discover some things. And if you feel like you have to make a decision right now today based on what you discover, you might freak out, right? So just give yourself permission to detach from the outcome of whatever you find. So that's my tip for kind of setting your alarm and being awake as far as like, how do I approach this concept of gaslighting as a scale, right? Um, Side note, why this is so important is because we have different kinds of boundaries based on where our gaslighter might be on that scale. So this is really super, super duper important work. Um, But I think today what we were able to really highlight and accomplish with Kat's story is that there can be legitimate trauma that is a byproduct of an innocent, unaware gaslighting situation. So again, I don't want to invalidate the trauma that, that you, my listeners, may have been experiencing because of the different levels of uh, awareness and impact and all of that kind of stuff, right? Like it can be traumatic, whether you're gaslighter as a narcissist or unaware. So Kat, I'd love to circle back around to you and just ask you, you know, for my listeners that might be connecting with any different parts of your story and what we're trying to talk about today, is there anything you would like to say to them? Hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, what I would like to say to them is that it's worth doing the hard work of excavation on Mm. this. Like I felt so much shame for so long that I didn't, I couldn't identify it. I thought I needed to go get regressed. I had something big hidden in there and (laughs) like actually it was, it was this stuff. And so I think what you just said is super important that what I experienced was real for me. It was legitimate Mm -hmm. and impactful for me. And it might have been different for some other kid. And that's okay, because I'm I'm me. And that it was so worth spending the time figuring out what what it was about my experience that made me feel so uncomfortable. Because Mm -hmm. if I didn't do that, I wouldn't know how to not 
replicate that with my kids and I wouldn't know yep. that good enough is good enough and I wouldn't yep. know any of the things that I know now and so you know am I a perfect parent absolutely not am I a good enough parent absolutely yes and mm -hmm. and so I, I, I yeah I just I can't I, you know, I think, like you said, the the really obvious gaslighting, the really insidious kind of evil gaslighting, like nobody struggles with that. But this this low level stuff is you have to work a little bit harder, but it's so worth it. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And I I bet that there are just loads of people listening right now that um, that just feel really encouraged by that. Right. Like I love it when, well, backing up, I, I see so much messaging out there in the world of gaslighting. That is, I'm so broken. It's 10 years later and I'm so broken and like I'm, I'm messed up and I'm damaged goods and all like, as if we can't heal from this stuff, but we can, we absolutely can. Does it take hard work? Yeah, it does. Absolutely does. And it's absolutely worth it. Like you said. Right. Well, and when we've done that, you know, here's the thing. I don't walk around hypervigilant to being gaslit nowadays. Exactly. That's not my experience. I'm not mm -hmm. looking for it out there in mm -hmm. the world. But mm -hmm. I do feel that little dink. Oh, okay. That doesn't feel great. What is that? And it's yep. not an aggressive, like, keep your distance from me. It's right. just a right. dink. Like, and right. I'm like, oh, okay. And I can, because I can, because I know I can trust myself and because I know I will fight for myself and because I yep. know that um, I can be safe for myself, which by the way, I worked really hard on for a really long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, like, mm -hmm. because I have that where there was a shame core, there is now a, a safety core with a tinge of shame um, <laughs> that I have to differentiate. Um, yeah. I can now just go, ah, okay, there's the dink. What's that? And I can make good choices without alienating and, uh, you know, kind of having, so I have boundaries, but they're, they're fences, not walls. They're not, mm. they're not, it's not a safe. I'm not locked up inside the safe right. trying to, trying to keep myself safe. And so, you know, I think actually bizarrely understanding this stuff is freedom. It feels like Absolutely. it puts you in a scary place, but it doesn't, it puts you in a safe place. Absolutely. And the end result is that you are now able to bring your full self right into relationship where all of you can right. be loved. And, um, and I love that. And so again, to my listeners, wherever you are at in your journey, you know, I, I'm sure I speak for Kat when I say we would love for you to be encouraged to not give up, right? Like wherever you're at, um, healing is possible. It's attainable and you can be living uh, free and awake, right? And you deserve that. And you deserve that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thank you for putting that in there too. Absolutely. Kat, thank you again. So, so much for being my guest today. I've absolutely loved every second of it. Yeah, it's been fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you again, my listeners for listening to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you think others would benefit from it, please share it. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. And once again, Wendy Child, not today. We got stars in